Thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. I am your host. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about co-parenting with a narcissist. And today's guest is narcissistic abuse recovery coach, Sarah Komodo. If you have ever had an experience with a narcissist, you know that they use their children as pawns and as a point of manipulation. Looking forward to having this conversation with you, and I will talk to you soon. Hello, thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. My name is Matthew Pfeiffer. I am your host, and I am here with uh, all the way from Australia. I have Sarah Komodo. She is a recovery coach after narcissistic abuse, someone that I connected with on Instagram. We've been uh, at least digital friends for, I think, a couple of years at this point. So um, someone that I very much appreciate, uh, someone that I find that is very genuine, her uh, topics and the, the type of content that she puts out is not only very genuine, it's very accurate to nar- narcissistic abuse. Uh, very well respected in the industry, all the way from Australia. Sarah, if you can just introduce yourself and tell everyone's uh, everyone hello, and tell us a little bit about, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, so I'm Sarah, I'm recovery coach after narcissistic abuse. Um, I've been coaching about three years now, three or four years. And yes, I started off on Instagram, and uh, I've got a yeah Facebook page and a TikTok account. And I help people who are trying to recover after realizing they've been in, um, yeah, abusive relationships, whether family or romantic. And yeah. And you, so you're on TikTok now. I know I've, um, I, I've stitched a couple of your videos on TikTok. Once I've found that you're on TikTok and trying to invade my space now, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just teasing, but you know, we're, we always welcome you on TikTok and, you know, I, I always appreciate you know, the content that you put out and uh, everything that you do. Uh, And we brought you on to talk about co-parenting. And that's something that you mentioned that you are very passionate about. And it's a, it is a very common problem that a lot of people have, regardless if we're talking about a narcissistic man or a narcissistic woman, that there is always, every single time, co-parenting issues. When you're talking about co-parenting with narcissists, they don't co-parent, they counter-parent. Literally every single thing that you want, every single thing that you do, even if it's in the best interest of the child, sometimes even if it's in the best interest of the narcissist, Mm -hmm. they will counter it just to create a problem. And so this is a a common problem amongst everyone who is in this issue. Um, that that's trying to co-parent and um, what what is it like what are some common issues that that you see with co-parenting let's let's start out right from the beginning right with the divorce right when as people are kind of splitting and as people are trying to split assets and trying to come up come up with custody that's typically right in the beginning stages where you start to notice that this is about to be a problem what has been your experience and what do you typically see yeah, so um, I think when people have been through narcissistic abuse and they go through divorce or trying to co-parent or come up with some custody or parenting plan, 
they don't realize how difficult the other person is going to be. And when they are, and they're opposing everything or countering everything, it's like a big surprise. Mm-hmm. And when you know about narcissistic abuse and the nature of the, you know, who these people are, when you can expect it, then you know that it's gonna be, it's basically a battle. Mm-hmm. It is a battle. And you know that if you say something or um, propose something, it's going to be, uh, there's going to be a fight. So you have to get really um, clever with not manipulating, but making things uh, seem more fair or making it seem like it's their decision or mm-hmm. making it seem like it's in their best interest or maybe having something to leverage like property or other kind of assets um, in order for you to get more custody of your children. But basically, it's holding your cards close to your chest because when they know what's important to you, they'll go for that. Yep. Yeah. And they, they do they do go for the jugular every single time. The things that you care about the most. I'm going to come off of children for a brief second. I'm going to tell a brief story like this. I uh, I had someone I was working with at one point in time, and um, and be careful of this of tipping your own hand when you're going through a divorce with a narcissist of letting them know the things that you want out of the divorce. Quite often they'll say things like, you know, um, we don't need lawyers, let, you know, just, let's just work this out. And so you think that this is going to be something that you could do amicably. I had someone that said to the, to the narcissist, you know, you can have anything you want. This person didn't share children. You can have anything you want. You can have the house, but I desperately need um, my dog. There was some therapeutic reasons why the person needed the dog. And the narcissist takes that, they go to court and the narcissist says, you know what, your honor, she can have anything she wants, but I desperately need my dog. Right. And so they're going back and forth in court over a dog. Right. And as, as much as, as attached as everyone is to a dog, they, they had, they, they were able to settle the the house, but they're fighting over dogs specifically because the narcissist wanted to create post-discard abuse. And that's what they do with the children as well, right? So one of the, it sounds like one of the things that you do is uh, you try to advocate for people to try to gain as much custody as they possibly can. Uh, so let's start there. What does that look like? What are some things that, uh, so you, you mentioned already them leveraging property, like what, what type of strategy do you put in place to be able to make that happen? Basically, um, I do advise people to document everything, record everything, um, big or small, because you mm-hmm. never know when you need it. Um, also, any communication that you have with the narcissistic parent to strip out all of the emotion. Mm-hmm. Don't give them anything, don't feed them anything, stick to facts. Uh, see it like a business transaction or business email. Um, I had one client who would have text arguments mm-hmm. in back. I'm like, move to email, move to email, not only protects you, it's documented, it slows down the, the rush and the ding, 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 and yep. his use. And he knows then that can be used because he, you know, he, he knew about legal uh, issues. So, mm-hmm. and he didn't like it, but it's like, if you don't communicate by a text, they have no choice but to communicate by email. So it's like, um, I say this, it's like dog training. You train them how it's going to be. And then okay. she was, so anxious about moving to email, but it was like the best thing for her because it gave her that that quietened that anxiety, and he couldn't bombard and blow up her phone. So um, 
also yes yeah, so documenting everything uh, speaking to your children making sure that they're um emotionally okay mm-hmm. i mean it's like every time they go to see the other parent and then you know question them and quiz them just really hone in on their emotions and how they're feeling and get feedback um from them on what it's like when they go over there because mm-hmm. a lot of goes on you know usually the other parent is going to say the dad is the like the disneyland dad the fun mm-hmm. dad or um is like outwardly abusive to them mm-hmm. and uh, or slandering the the mom and trying to alienate the uh, the mother and the children trying to get the child to hate the other parent mm-hmm. which is like and they they don't stop even if there are court orders in place they don't stop no. because it's, it's what they do right <clears throat> yeah, they they don't think that the rules they don't think that the that the um, rules apply to them mm-hmm. right they actually think that they that what they're doing is right. What they're doing is accurate, right? You're the enemy and I'm saving the children from this big bad person is, is how they think. Right? And they eventually get to a point where they convince themselves of that and they actually truly believe these, these vicious lies. Uh, so you, you mentioned texting and, and moving over to email. What's your experience with Our Family Wizard? Are you a big advocate of Our Family Wizard? Yes. Um, I mean, we don't use that here in Australia, but I do advise people, and a lot of people haven't even heard of that, like the US clients I have. And um, it does slow down the communication. It does kind of force them to comply. Um, so I do say and advise, like, if you can move to there, move over there. Um, obviously, the other parent doesn't necessarily like that, but they can get it caught with it and they get it caught with um, because that is the thing, like the narcissist, even if they've moved on, even if they've remarried, the children are a guaranteed source of supply and yep. by default, so are you. So when you understand that, then you understand how to detach and disengage as much as you can, because they want to hold you. It doesn't matter whether it's positive or negative. They just want to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. It takes people a while to kind of process that and understand and, you know, get asked, well, well why? Why does it? Well, because it's fun for them. Right. It's fun, entertaining. It's fuel. And, and not, only, it's not only is it fun, but they literally feel better about themselves when they're devaluing you. Mm. And one of the things that you you mentioned that, that I want to touch on is uh, they're not going to be happy about that, right? They're not going to be happy about our family wizard. They're not going to be happy about text messaging. They're not going to be happy about email. They're not going to be happy about the divorce. They're not going to be happy about, let's just say, 50-50 custody. They're not going to be happy about anything because they're losing what they actually want, power and control, right? And so um, I tell people that your goal is not to make them happy. You weren't able to do that while you were married. You're not going to be able to do that in the divorce. What's been your experience with, with the people that you work with trying to make the other person happy? Well, it backfires. Um, I, there was somebody I was working with and I was like, you really need to gray rock. You really need to disengage, not give anything. Cause she was still sending um, like photos of the kid, mm-hmm. having inside jokes with him. And um, she was like, yeah, but if I keep him on side, maybe he won't proceed with taking me to court. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that doesn't work. Mm-mm. He's taking you to court. He's not going to stop. No. You know, he's not your friend. He's not your enemy, but he's not your friend. Just mm-hmm. be natural. Talk about the child. You don't need to have inside jokes and keep him sweet. But she was mm-hmm. very fearful of doing that. Yeah. 
you, but he's he's angry anyway, and he's taking you to court. Just carry on, you know, be yeah. the grey one, be indifferent. But um, it took a while for her to kind of get her head around that because normally in real life, like other people, yeah, they're nice, they're nice back it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I tell the I tell people that the you need to treat this person like a coworker, but not just like any coworker, but like a coworker who's trying to get you fired. Mm-hmm. Right. That when you get your when when you have a coworker that you know that doesn't like you, that is trying to get you fired, you're very careful about how you respond to emails because anything you say, anything you can you do could possibly end up in H in the HR department, in the human resources department. And in this situation, court is the human resources department, right? That, so don't send anything that you don't want the judge to read, that you don't want lawyers to read, because the possibility of that happening is very, very likely. Yes. Yeah, and um, just on that, yeah, whenever, you know, when people want to respond to the narcissist or the narcissist accuse them of something, they want to defend, they default mm-hmm. to defending and explaining, but I say, you know, imagine that a lawyer or the judge is going to read this. They don't care about the emotion. They don't care about, you know, you hurt my feelings. Why could you do it? Just be really factual because then it's really easy to detect the, the facts yep. and what's actually gone on. Um, strip all the emotion out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It goes back to that old saying that when you argue with a fool, you can't tell who's who. Mm-hmm. And so you really take away your own fight, your own argument when you're arguing back and forth with them over these frivolous things, you're not, you know, a lot of people want to prove to the court that they're a narcissist, that they're this. Well, you're not going to prove anything. If you're sitting here arguing back and forth, you look just as bad as they do. When you take, you want to make the judges and the lawyer's job very easy, right? And this is where some emotional intelligence, some emotional self-control comes in, which is difficult in the moment because you've been so emotionally manipulated by this person for so long, but you have to dig deep and you have to, you know, regardless for working with myself, yourself or another coach or therapist, you have to learn some of these skills pretty quickly, you know, or this could potentially begin to spin out of control. And if the narcissist knows that they, that what buttons to press, it is going to be messy. And one of the things that, that you mentioned that I want to touch on is um, you mentioned slowing down communication. That's something I'm a big advocate of as well. Can you talk about that process? What does that look like? And what do you tell your clients about slowing down that process? Well, you know, we all have our phones on us. It's very quick to hear a message and we're inclined to reply. Especially when you've been through the trauma of narcissistic abuse, you're trained to, oh, they're saying this and I need to do this and you reply straight away. So they're kind of, you know, getting their supply and you're kind of given the trauma response of replying straight away. When you can slow down the communication, so by using email or um, our family wizard, you don't get the notification straight away. And also you can look at it and read whatever it says and decide, okay, does it need to be responded to right now? Is it an emergency? Is it about the well-being of the children? Unless it's about the well-being and the health and safety of the children, it can wait. Mm-hmm. And I personally do this. I leave it, if it needs a response, I leave it a day or two mm-hmm. on like, and yeah. that takes training yourself, yeah. but you to um, reduce your trigger by not reacting straight away or responding straight away. And uh, it's really about filtering. Does this require a response? If it doesn't require a response, don't respond. You don't have to. You know? 
And, and you mentioned the trigger, you know, this fight or flight response that you have when you get these text messages. It does heal and help with that uh, over time because it does take some time and it does take some getting used to. But the other thing that it does is that the narcissist on the other end is used to getting their way. And when they start to realize that they lose, that they've lost control, don't get me wrong. In the beginning, they're going to, they're going to keep, they're going to keep pestering you because they're used to having their way. But over time, over the course of time, that game that you mentioned that they're doing, it's no fun. When the other person is not on the other side, playing the game with you, eventually you stop playing the game even for a narcissist, they, they'll still try to pick it up every once in a while, especially around the holidays. They'll try to engage you. But as long as you're consistent, eventually you, you're able to take your life back and you, you, you stop having these fight or flight responses. And they, you know, they begin to slow down these text messages because the narcissist, they're very impulsive. They want it right here, right now. And when you stop engaging in that, all of they a sudden it's just like, yeah, they move on. Yeah. And it's hard for people to realize that that actually happens. But I say, just trust me, do mm-hmm. this. And they're like astonished that, oh, he didn't even say anything. He didn't respond. He didn't mm-hmm. say anything. Because yep. usually they want to say their thing in the moment and move on. Yeah. One of the things that people, I don't think that people realize that there's a reason why you have that fight or flight response. And there's a reason why you have this anxiety, like why I need to text this person right here, right now. It's because during the relationship, they did a really good job of creating a sense of urgency. And that was a part of the manipulation because if I can get you to rush your decisions and you're not thinking about your response, you're going to say something that's goofy, that's out of character, right? That they can use for manipulation, use for forms of control that they can spin and use to gaslight. And uh, they, they, uh, they will do that even after the divorce, if you're not careful. Right. Um, what's been your experience with that? Have you had a client that may have said something very simple and all of a sudden it is like the narcissist blows it out of proportion or uses it for manipulation or takes screenshots and sends it to judges? What does that look like? Uh, yes, I've actually got one client uh, at the moment and her it's just happened recently. I'm sure she won't mind me mentioning. I'm not going to say her name, but he, her ex-husband or soon to be ex-husband is accusing any of her male friends or male family members of um, abusing their daughters. So he's sending them texts and, uh, and then she is receiving the screenshots of these text messages of him accusing them and telling them not to do it and children need to have boundaries and all this kind of stuff. And I, she said, how do I get him to stop? And I said, um, this is all just control. He mm-hmm. wants to get your support network Mm-hmm. from you mm-hmm. choosing all these males even mm-hmm. though they're not doing anything and you know if they, if it was actually true wouldn't he go to the police you're not going to ask the person to stop using children. Mm-hmm. he goes to the police right. so it's just it's just yes and i'm glad that you said i'm glad that you said that because when you're in the moment it's it's scary right when you have the narcissist threatening to call uh cps threatening, you know, accusing, I had someone, I had uh, the narcissist, <clears throat> I had a narcissist that was accusing someone's fiance of uh, inappropriately touching uh, her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And you think that because you've been, you, the narcissist was successfully 
able to manipulate you, you think that they would be able to do that to a judge or someone in court. No, it doesn't work like that. People who are outside of this circle can clearly see the manipulation because of exactly what you just said. The behavior doesn't line up. If you're really a concerned parent, you wouldn't be sending text messages about how your child was inappropriately touched. You would be livid calling the police, calling CPS, like get my kid out of there and immediately. That, that is behavior of a, of a truly concerned parent, not text messages, emails, screenshots, right? That's what children do, right? And yeah. so when you start to see that behavior and you, you actually bring it into perspective, you're like, this person is goofy. Yeah, it's just crazy. And mm-hmm. it, it takes a person to step outside of themselves in a situation to see, oh, actually, the fact is he's not going to the police. And then she was like, well, why is he doing this? How can I get him to stop? You can't get him to stop, but the people who he's messaging and accusing, they can get some kind of protective order. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to stop, but he looks stupid. He's just trying to break down your support network. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's hard not to worry about it. It's not happening. Right. It's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. The, you know, another to take that one step further, because some narcissists really do call CPS or they really do call the police, even though it is a complete fabrication, even though it is a complete lie. What's been your experience with with that? Uh, and what do you tell people who when when CPS all of a sudden is at their door, the police are suddenly at their door and it's about something that's just completely made up? It's, it's a worry and there is a lot of anxiety for the, the person trying to heal from this kind of abuse because they're still so like um, running on cortisol and so stressed and anxious and believing whatever the narcissist says. But the facts are, is this thing happening? Are you abusing your children? Are you neglecting them? And, you know, and they're like, no, I, I do this, this, this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so it's out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, CPS have come, or yes, the police have come, but what is your argument? Right. What are the facts? What is the truth? Right. You know, it's just like when a teacher, like, oh, this person did this, and then did they? What's the, what actually happened? This looks stupid. And, and people have to understand that, yeah, CPS will show up, the police will show up, because that's their job. You would, if the roles were reversed, you would want them to actually show up and at least check things out. So they do have to do that, but they're not there to used to be a liaison between CPS, uh, family court and foster care. Um, And people don't realize that CPS, they don't want to take your kids away. They really, really don't. They're already overwhelmed. What they're looking for is the, is, is what's happening. Is it disagreeable or is it unacceptable? If you, if you go to someone's house and let's say they put their kids to bed at midnight instead of at eight o'clock in the evening or whatever you, you would consider an appropriate time, that's disagreeable. You have every right to put your kids to bed at any time you want as a parent. I might disagree with you, but you do have that right. You have a right to be a parent. You also have a right to be a shitty parent. Now, if anyone smacks your kid across the face, Everybody agrees that that is unacceptable, right? To physically abuse your kid, your children. So as long as things like that aren't happening, there's not dog poop everywhere, things like that, and you're not neglecting your children, you're going to be fine. And you, you can't just cave to these lies. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot of fear. People still fear the narcissist when they are still in the throes of what's going mm -hmm. on. They're still scared of what he may be capable of. But when you realize that they're not that powerful and that's why mm -hmm. they keep trying these antics, right. the balance of power shifts over and you realize you step into your own power and you kind of know uh, this is just this tactic. This is yeah. just this, you know? And yeah, right. it's inconvenient and it's not fun, but right. <clears throat> they do. Now let's talk about supporting the children through this, because we also know that when you're co-parenting with a narcissist, they do what they can to try to manipulate the child, to try to convince them that you're a terrible mother, that you're a terrible father. You know, when you begin to date again, they accuse, your, accuse you of cheating with this person, even if you didn't even really meet them until after the divorce was final. They do all sorts of vicious things. What, what do you tell the people that you work with about the, the child and how to support them? Where do you go from there? Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where that's, I mean, I'll just say again, it's usually the mum who's really worried about that. Although I did have a, a, a male client who was worried about that because the, like I'll say about the male client, the, the daughter, the daughter's mum was lying about the dad and just saying all kinds of things and messing with the daughter's mind and the dad wasn't sure how to handle it. Mm -hmm. I advise people, your child, your children, they need to know who the emotionally safe and healthy parent is. Mm -hmm. Like safe for me. Yes, this person may be the Disneyland dad, buys them all this kind of, you know, everything takes them everywhere and like seems great compared to you. But who is there for them emotionally? Who allows mm -hmm. them to have their emotions? Right. Who's and like they're a human and right. doesn't try and put them in the box and control them. Yeah. And it's hard for people to um, like not feel like, oh, he just buys them everything and I can't really provide for them that way. It's like, yes, but what the narcissist can't do is be there for them emotionally. Right. You can, but yeah. you have to get strong within yourself to be able to teach your children how to not become a people pleaser, right. how to set things, um, how to ask questions and question everything, mm -hmm. even if it's from you as well. So I think emotional safety is number one mm -hmm. to know who is emotionally safe. In your children, people think that the children, yeah, they, they like the Disneyland dad. They like the Disneyland mom that gives them anything and everything they want. They like it in the moment. But kids also know what they need. And people take that for granted. They think that, that the Disneyland dad, the Disneyland mom, that that is ultimately going to win over. It doesn't and the reason why it go ahead i'm sorry, I'm sorry. go ahead I'm just gonna say that's not what they're gonna remember when they're 18 20 mm -mm. They remember all those things that were bought for them or where they went and all the fun things they did they're gonna remember the emotional side exactly of and it's not and and what people also have to realize when it comes to the disneyland parent is that that comes with a lot of a lot of caveats right that they're not just giving them this stuff that comes with a lot of pressure. You, if you're Facebook stalking them, if you're on, if you're Instagram stalking the other parent while they have the kids, you see the, the perfect picture of them having a good time on the boats and this and that, but that comes with a lot of pressure for the child. You have to obey me and you have to sacrifice your own individuality to make me look like the best parent ever. The child does not like that at all. 
the golden child. It might seem like they're getting everything that they want. They don't like that because the minute that you have your own opinion about anything, the minute that you even act like a child and to the narcissist misbehaves, there are some major consequences to pay. Right. And so there's that, that provides a lot of pressure for the child and the child does not like it at all. And that's the reason why it's so important that even if you think, and not, number one, not to compete, but number two, when the child is with you, allow for them to be free, allow for them to speak up for themselves, to be free, to, to feel like they are an, an individual. And, and what happens over the course of time is that the child just realizes that I don't really like the way that the other person makes me feel. And that's smart. Like, Children are smart. They know more than we, I think, give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Like, work out certain things and work out, okay, this person buys me these things and I can do some things. And they don't realize it's their parents, so they love them unconditionally, of right. course. But this person, you know, I can be myself, I can be free, I can express my opinion, I'm allowed to cry. At the other place, I'm not allowed to cry. You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're in a box. They, mm-hmm. There's no price for them to pay to be with a Disneyland parent. And what people, what, what happens over the course of time is I, I tell people to, you plant and water seeds with your kids, right? You don't worry about what the other parent is doing, right? And this is where parallel parenting comes in. You don't worry about what they're doing and be happy for your kids. If they, if they have good moments, good vacations, be happy that they have these experiences, but also know that they don't really care for it, right? That they're not having as good of a time, but you have to be what's called the protective parent, that you're there for them you're the stability that they see because over long term right they the narcissist they might win some of these short-term battles but you want to win the long game Mm -hmm. exactly and protecting them is like number one Mm -hmm. and yeah you can't control what happens over there what's discussed but you can make sure that in your home it's like this and you know there's a lot of undoing and redoing Mm -hmm. but kind of good because you get to the narcissist always gives opportunities for you to teach yeah. the child something there's yeah. always an opportunity okay well we don't speak to people like that mm-hmm. felt that way um it's very unfortunate that they said or did that to you and i'm really sorry yeah you know so they give you opportunities to teach them healthy ways as yeah. well. and then and, and the kids eventually see it a lot of times i i've, I've met with people that they want to tell the child about the abuse. They want to tell the child about the affairs. They don't care. Right. They, you know, they're too, for a lot of them, a lot of kids, they haven't even had an experience of having um, a partner, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend. So they can't even empathize with you to know what it's like to be cheated on, right. To be in love, let alone understand that what the, what impact of what cheating is or, um, you know, they grew up with the domestic violence, so they just think that this is normal. So for them to even hear something like that, I'm like, well, okay, well, still mom, it's still dad, I still love them, right? They, they, because when they're in an abusive situation, they see both good and bad in them. Mm. Yeah, just like uh, the partners did. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, I, there have been a couple of people who want to tell the children, and I think, you know, we have to be age appropriate when we yeah. explain anything to them. Use stories, you know, use other situations that are age appropriate. Right. Um, wait until they're of an age when they're asking questions, but you know, don't tell them how you would tell your friend. 
because it's just going to mess them up and they're yeah. just going to say, well, you said that and he said that or yeah. he said that. You're both the same. And eventually they see it themselves because they have their own experience. And that becomes even more important yeah. is to validate what they've gone through. Um, I, I had someone I was working with and the son came home and he didn't see it for a long time until one day he came home and the mom could just tell that he was down and like, Hey son, what's up? Well, when I was at dad's last week, he, well, I guess I can say it. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna say, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was like, well, it's my show. I guess I could say whatever I want. Um, he, he came home and he was like, dad called me a pussy. And the mom was like, and she had been working on validating feelings like, well, that must have hurt, right? And the son who's usually kind of has like a harder exterior shell, like immediately tears, right? Yeah. Hugged his mom, like, why would he say this to me, right? And, and that's when the blinders for the son really started coming off about the dad. The mom previous tried to try to convince the child about how bad the, the dad was. He was always siding with dad, right? Uh, well, your dad cheated on me. Well, yeah, but you know, you did some things to dad too, right? And w- wanted to kind of play the, the middle the middle ground. But when the, the dad began to impact the child, completely different story. Now we can see it. Yeah, he's been affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's why people, unless you've experienced it, mm-hmm. you've you don't really know how it feels. Nope. You don't really know how it feels in the aspect. You don't know how it feels um, in the moment. Right. Like that and exactly. But, and it's unfortunate that the child went through that, but mm-hmm. he didn't experience it himself. Right. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you uh, for all the work that you do. We certainly appreciate all the posts that you do on not on all of your social media, on TikTok, on Instagram. Um, can you tell the audience like where some good places are to find you, find your work, find your content, um, and just um, and just kind of maybe some final thoughts? Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm mainly on Instagram, but I have a Facebook page and a, a free Facebook community with some resources there. And yeah, just started off on TikTok. Uh, link in my um, Instagram profile if you need help with narcissistic abuse, healing after narcissistic abuse, co-parenting, or the impact, you know, the negative impact that you're experiencing, or if it's a family member, um, just link in, the, in my bio. And yeah, I have a workshop as well um, on why it's so hard to heal after narcissistic abuse. And that's also in the link in my bio, I think. And yeah, it doesn't matter where you are on your healing journey. Know that things can and will get better, but you just have to take action. It won't happen on its own. It's not like with a normal, uh, let's say, relationship, romantic relationship breakdown. Time doesn't heal. You have okay. to do the work. Yep. You just have to. I agree with that. Work. I say that all the time. Yeah. That you, you have to be the hero in your own story. You do. When you are, you know, when you realize that, there are so many people out there to help you. Yeah. Therapists, coaches, there, there are people there to help you, pull you up, because we've been there as well, and we know the struggle but their support. And that's why I created what I did because I, there was nothing back when I had my experience, nothing at all. Uh, So I kind of had to get my things together, my resources and research and this, that, and the other. So, you know, that's why I put everything together where, you know, for other people to make it easier. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sarah Komodo all the way from Australia. She left you all of her information. Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on Toxic to Triumph, and we will have to do this again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep your head to the sky. Tell me, dream big, it's all we take with us in the